now from Acts chapter 15. And we're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 18. And you'll see why. So thanks, Catherine. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 1. The Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversions of the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by, by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Thanks. There ends the reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage. We thank you that we have this passage to help us to, to honour you when it comes to responding to, to false doctrine. So Father, help me as I preach from this passage to be clear and understood. Help us all to listen. Help us to, to hear what your word has to say so that we can honour you through living out your word, doing your will according to the sacred scriptures as we go about doing our daily living here in this community. But thank you for the scriptures, Father. Help us to, to listen now. Help me to be clear. Help us all to be built up in Christ so we can honour him, that the Holy Spirit can do his work through us and testify Him about him in the lives of people as we share 
and witness Christ into the lives of people. So, Father, thank you. Thank you again for the sacred scriptures. Thank you again that we have the scriptures. Lamp to our feet and our light to our path. Pray and ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Another chapter of Acts, another exciting movement in the new and early church. And within this chapter there is false doctrine, false teaching. The question is, how should a church respond to false doctrine? How would we respond to false doctrine if it suddenly came out from one of us? How should a church respond to such a serious matter like we have in this book? Now, by the word doctrine, I'm referring to a, a teaching, something that is taught in the scripture, like the doctrine of the church, like the doctrine of faith, like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, like the doctrine of God. Doctrine represents teaching that comes from the, author the authoritative word of God. It's, it's authority. The Bible is authoritative. We listen to it and we learn from it so that we can allow the sound doctrine that comes from Scripture to help us live sound living lives. Someone said, without sound doctrine, there is no spiritual basis to delineate right from wrong, no doctrinal authority to correct sin. And no biblical encouragement to motivate godly living. You bring in false doctrine, you destroy the church. That's the bottom line. And you might think you're not destroying the church. You carry on singing, you carry on doing anything, everything. But all you've done is you brought the world into the church. You brought, you brought false doctrine to take over the true doctrine. That's why the Reformation was so important. Because everything was built on sola scriptura. Scripture alone. So if there's a church today that does not open the scriptures and teach from the scriptures, they're not a biblical church. They cannot be a biblical church because they're not building upon God's foundation, His sacred word, which are the keys. And yeah, there is a doctrine that is in danger. And, and, and if you were in church last week, I was meant to get into Acts chapter 15, but I said, no, let's focus on one verse from this passage. And that was verse 11. But we, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That's how we say it. It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. That is salvation. Not salvation plus something else, or grace plus something else. So we looked at this grace alone. It's on the podcast or it's on our web. If you weren't, in here, weren't here last week, I encourage you to go listen to it. Because I'm not going to go into great detail about God's grace as we go forward now. I spent a sermon preaching on God's grace. When it comes to justification and when it comes to living holy lives. There were two things, two truths that came out of that verse and why is grace so important? Because we know that in verse 1, there are some men that come and say, no, that salvation is through circumcision. And in verse 5, they say, yes, through circumcision, plus they must keep the law. The Gentiles must do this. 
So go and listen to that sermon on grace alone. Because Luther said justification is the article by which the church stands and falls. Someone else said grace is the article by which the gospel stands and falls. You tinker with grace. If you say it's partly grace, partly Jesus, plus partly human works, then you nullify God's grace. And this is the danger. This is the problem. This is a serious matter that has arisen in the church of Antioch. It's probably in the Jerusalem church because men were sent from Jerusalem to go up, no, to go down to Antioch. And they were sent by the Pharisees to tell that church that its salvation is unless you are circumcised. false doctrine has arisen amongst this congregation in the church of Antioch. What's in danger when false doctrine arises? Christian truth. We've got to defend Christian truth. We've got to lay down our lives for Christian truth. What else is at stake? Christian love. Fellowship. Working together in love and harmony. United in Christ Jesus. They will only see that you are my disciples if you love one another. False doctrine divides the church. It brings disunity. It breaks up true fellowship. Loving fellowship. Wouldn't it be lovely if we had such men as Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter in the churches today that love the truth. And yes, there are churches that love the truth and that will defend the truth. But there are some churches that have no respect for God's word. No respect for truth. They just do as they please. They think it's the worship team that must entertain the church and build the church. Well, they think it's some other guy telling life stories about himself. Entertaining the people. Giving them man's wisdom. Man's psychology. How to live. And nullify God's grace. We need to embrace this truth. I'm reading a book often on called Putting Amazing Back Into Grace. We've taken out the amazing from grace and we just put in our own stuff and, we, and we, so we decorate this grace. So the question is, how should we as a church, how should a church respond to false doctrine? So in a two-part series, we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, Verses 1 to 35, but we're going to do it in a two-part series. So part 1 this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 to 18, Lord willing, and look at two things. And hopefully next week we can get back here, get into part 2, and look at another two things. To help us to respond to false doctrine. Now just a quick history. Persecution broke out in AD 34. This church of Antioch was founded in AD 40, because some men that were scattered went to preach the gospel there. And you can read that up in, um, somewhere in Acts chapter 11. Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, and Antioch speaking the word to one except the Jews. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Jerusalem church heard about this. They sent Barnabas to the church to go check it out. Guess what he, guess what he sees when he comes there? 
When he came, he saw the grace of God. He didn't see the human man's work or man doing work. He saw the grace of God that came from the scriptures that were preached all about preached all about Christ Jesus. They saw the grace of God. Then he gets concerned. He goes off to Tarsus, gets Paul and or Saul, and they come there and they minister for a year in this church. And that happened in about, say, 40, AD 44. Now, and then, then Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey. Missionary journey. They came back and again, beautifully said at the end of Acts chapter 14, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together, declared all that God had done with them. It was why they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had been done through Paul. And that happened in AD 49. So a lot of time has stretched. And now suddenly they're back in the church and they're there teaching and they remain there in a little time with the disciples. And while they're teaching, some men come down. From, or come up from Jerusalem down to the church of Antioch. And they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So the first thing to help us to respond to false doctrine is there is a disturbance. I've read around, I've read commentaries, and it looks like everybody else read somebody's commentary because there's all D's. There's disturbance, there's debate, there's dispute. Then someone has another D, another D. So I've just got some D's together, and the first D is disturbance. There is a disturbance. False doctrine, false teaching will bring a disturbance. Especially if you're grounded in the truth and you're using God's word to discern what is right and wrong. And the disturbance came, as I said, from men who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. They were sent by the Pharisees. Verse 5 says that when they're in the church of Jerusalem, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose and said. So these were sent by the Pharisees to go to the church of Antioch and to tell the people this. So there's a disturbance. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Imagine the disturbance. I stood up this morning and I said, unless you are baptized, you cannot be saved. And I said to you, no, but come, let's look, let's look at Mark. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my argument comes from Scripture. My argument says this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. There you are. I'm teaching from today. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Until you get in that pool with me and I baptize you. It's wrong. It's false. If we know what baptism is all about, we will know it's false. It's adding human works to salvation. That is exactly what these, these believers, these these. these Pharisees that belong to the Pharisees, they are believers. It says there, but some men came down from Judea. And in verse 5, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, these are believers. These are guys who are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God's grace. But circumcision rules for salvation. 
So please don't, at least it's been recorded, and I'm not saying we need to be baptized in order to be saved. That's false teaching. That is false doctrine. That is a works righteousness. And they also said they need to keep the law of Moses. What is their concern? Is they are concerned that how can these Gentiles belong in the same church as us, in a Christian church? They first need to become a Jew. Then they can become a Christian. They must obey Moses. It's not enough for them just to trust Jesus alone to be saved. They must be circumcised, obey Moses, so they can be a Jew like us, and then they can have fellowship with us in the church. So we've got to understand where these Jewish believers are coming from. We've got to be sensitive to, to what they're bringing. Because what they're saying that is a Gentile needs to become a Jewish proselyte before they can become a Christian. They need to be circumcised. How dare these pagan Gentiles come into the church on an equal basis as us Jewish people? They need to be circumcised. And that will bring about their true salvation. And that will bring about them fellowshipping with us. So a great disturbance has arisen. And because they're adding to God's word, these, these, these men that bring this false doctrine, that it's partly grace, partly faith, partly Christ to be saved, pass our human works. Like Jewish legalism and Jewish ritualism. And this is a great threat to the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is the gospel of truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. Jesus is all truth. So once you start playing around with the gospel of truth, you start playing around with what Jesus has taught us. He's the son of God. You start tampering with God's word. Like Adam and Eve tampered with God's word. They didn't believe and trust God's word in the Garden of Eden. But let's be honest. This is where we see God's love for his disciples. Because Jesus warned his disciples when he was walking with them. Beware of false prophets, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus warned his disciples, beware of such people. Paul also, to the church of Ephesus, on his departure, he said to the elders of the church of Ephesus, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And this is exactly what these, these men are trying to do as well. And today the church is so focused on what's happening outside the church. At the expense of actually being aware of false doctrine that is arising within the church. God says, I will judge those outside the church. You must judge those in the church. Are we living holy lives? Are we following the Holy Scriptures according to the Scriptures to do God's will faithfully? 
Because in the churches there's always going to be false teachers. And their aim is to destroy the church. Because these are the people that Satan uses. He wants to get into their minds and control them so they can get into the churches and destroy the churches. First, destroy the faithful preaching of Christ crucified. And when you take away preaching faithfully Christ crucified, you take away the power. And what is the power? It's the work of the Holy Spirit that testifies about Christ through the preaching of the Word. You take away the power. Someone said the most destructive of the destructive heresies is teaching that salvation is by human works since it damns man. But we've got to be so grateful and thankful that there are men that love God. They don't just say it. They say they love God which is followed through their actions. How they defend the faith. How they stand up for the faith. And two such men is Paul and Barnabas. They are faithful shepherds. They love God and they love His people. They don't allow these men to come and walk all over them and tell them what they know and what they need to do. Yes sir, three sir, no sir. Three fools. What's it? Three, three bag fools, sir? It's all about, hey, we know the Scriptures. These men are wrong. And guess what they do? They dispute, they debate, they contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They stand up against these false teachers who are perverting the grace of God. That's exactly what you do when you play around with God's truth, God's word, any doctrine. You pervert God's word. And in this sense, case, they are perverting God's grace. And the beautiful thing is, is, is Paul and Barnabas have no small dissension and debate with them. They, they sit down and they, and, they, and, they, and they sit down with them. And they converse with them. Let me tell you that now, if that was before, if that was before, if that was Paul, not converted, and someone went to him and said to him as a Jew, Paul, you got it wrong. Christianity is the way. What would he have done with that person? Had him stoned. Do we see what the love of God does to our hearts? Paul is still zealous for God. He's still jealous for God. But the Holy Spirit, whose love has been poured into his heart and Barnabas, show love towards these men and they sit down and they debate. In love. There's no throwing stones. There's no anger. There is love. Self-control. And then after the debating these false teachers... The church agrees, let's send Paul and Barnabas and others to go to Jerusalem, to their leadership, made up of apostles and elders, about this question. Let, let's, yes, we know what we believe, and I think we need to include the mother church, the Jerusalem church. What love and harmony that these men, they could have decided the Antioch church, we, we, we know it all. We don't have to go down to them and find out what's right and wrong. We know it all. We, we can look after ourselves. No. 
No one's arrived. They go down to the church in Jerusalem and they discuss this disturbance. And as Paul and Barnabas make their way to the church of Jerusalem, they pass through different districts. Phoenicia and Samaria. And they tell the people of the conversions of the Gentiles. How they boast in God's grace. That God was saving Gentiles on the same basis as he was saving Jews. That namely is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all built on scripture alone, for God's glory alone. That they were teaching them that faith is through Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Messiah. Folk, there is so much power and truth that comes through those words. Don't be ashamed of telling someone that Jesus died for you. And according to the scriptures, he rose for you in order for you to have salvation. There is power in those words. Because the Holy Spirit can take those words and testify that truth in their hearts. He's the one that convicts people of their sin and judgment and righteousness, not us. The church needs to stand back and let be God be God in salvation. Just share the truth and let God bring those to salvation, not man. I'll just read something. And it's interesting that you read this. And it's not to, to make trouble. It's just to read something that, that makes me think how we downplay God's grace. We often practice our evangelism as though gimmicks and techniques could get people to raise a hand or walk an aisle or pray a prayer. The problem we reason is not that they are in bondage to a sinful nature and require supernatural intervention, but that they are merely ill-informed and require a moving testimony or chorus. Sometimes such methods do get people to do these things, but this is not regeneration or conversion. We have simply gotten them to jump through our hoops. Essentially, election is God's, God's making the decision for us that we would never have made for Him. This is love. Not that we love, for God chose that He would love us first, but that He loved and chose us. When we choose God, it costs us nothing compared to the cost of His choosing us. His choice of us signed His Son's death warrant. We need to embrace this amazing grace. This is exactly what they're defending in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Acts. It's all about God's grace. And they go and they boast about God's grace to these, on the way down to Jerusalem to the Sumerians and to the Phoenicians. Because it's all about God's truth. And when you preach and talk about God's grace, guess what it does? It should bring great joy to your heart. That's what the truth should do to our hearts. It should bring great joy to our hearts. The fact that we could come here this morning should bring great joy to our hearts. The fact that we can sit under God's preaching of His Word 
without being persecuted should bring great joy to our hearts. Because when these people heard, as they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. This brought great joy. The joy in the fact that God was saving Gentiles stirred up their hearts to great joy. That it's not a mixture of faith and works, grace and law, Jesus and Moses. It's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone for God's glory alone. That is salvation. And in Barnabas and Paul arrive in Jerusalem, verse 4 of 15, when they arrive in Jerusalem, they're welcomed by the church. Great love and unity and fellowship. The apostles of that church and the elders of that church, they welcome them. The congregation welcomes them. That is Paul and Barnabas and others that went up to Jerusalem with them. And then they tell them all that God had done. They acknowledge God and His grace. They declare to them all that God had done with them. How God in His grace was saving Gentiles, saving all men. That it's not necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And then these false teachers who believe that Jewish ceremonies and rituals play a great part in salvation, they stand up. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. It's grace plus Jesus plus works. Circumcision and then legally keeping the law. Legalism comes out of that. They have denied this great truth that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, which includes circumcision. And that's what Romans chapter 3 verse 28 teaches us. There is so much love. How often churches will fight and argue, not over some doctrine, but over what side should the piano of the church be on? The left side or the right side? That will create a split in the church. We're painting the church tomorrow. Red, blue, pink, yellow, what color? Who cares? Just paint it. And we will be content with it. That's how it should be. We fight over trivial things at the expense of actually fighting over the truth. And such, what beautiful men, what hearts of love and concern and compassion that they come and they, and they can share amongst each other this, this false doctrine. You don't, you don't read about anybody throwing out his toys, getting angry. They bait about this disturbance. They talk about this disturbance. They sit down with these false teachers and they debate with them through the scriptures. Verse 6 tells us the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And then they debated. But 
The reason, you might be thinking, how do you know Mark Paul never got angry? How do you know Paul did this in love and compassion? Well, listen to what he wrote to Timothy. He wrote to Timothy and he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you notice three words in that passage? Three words and where they belong. Kind, kindness, patiently patient, gentleness, gentleness. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see what Paul is talking to Timothy about? That character is so important when you debate with people about the gospel of truth. They're interested in truth, but they're also watching your character. So it's like John Newton said, if you go around sharing Calvinism with people, make sure you go around like a lump of sugar and then you drop it in the tea. And you stir it slowly so it dissolves in the tea. So you share that truth. So it dissolves slowly into their hearts. But we jump on people expecting they must know what we know. If I go back to when God saved me in 97. And people came with some of the truths that I know today. I would have, I would have probably chased them away. But God has to get hold of our hearts and, and, and convict us. And our convictions as we read the Bible will lean us to what the truth is in the Scripture. That it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Built on Scripture alone. Nothing else. Satan will do anything to get into the mind of a leader in the church, a pastor, or anybody. And create a disturbance through false teaching. Because he wants to destroy the church. Why? The church is the testimony about Christ. It's about the cross and the crucifixion. These truths. So if we, when we see a disturbance, will we address the matter in love? Will we bring these people into a talk? And we'll see how that is. I'm not going to go into the, the, the second thing of the first part of the series, which is to do with discussion. Lord willing, you'll be here next week and we can look at that. But will we look to Christ and the cross? Will we look to see what Christ has done? That there on the cross, He died for salvation. To give us that gift of grace and faith and salvation and regeneration and redemption and sanctification. All that comes through Him. Because there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. By which we must be saved. That's why it's all scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Are we willing to defend that truth? If a false disturbance, like a false doctrine, disturbs us. Will we stand up for that truth? That's how we should respond as a church. We should fight for the truth, but in love. In harmony. Stop thinking we've arrived when we fight with people. Love them out of their false teaching. And it's up to God at the end of the day to move them from being captured by the snare of the devil.
Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you again for your truth that comes from the scriptures. Thank you that Jesus is full of truth, that you've also given us the spirit of truth that indwells us, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the scriptures, to teach us your truth, to unite our hearts to fear your name. So, Father, please help us to, to, to defend the faith. Help us to, 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 as a church, help us to respond to any false doctrine that arises in our midst amongst each other. That we would do it in love. That when there's a disturbance, we will react and relate. And not just brush it off like a lot of churches do. Father, please forgive us if we've done that in the past. If we've just brushed over any false doctrine. Help us to stand upon this rock. And help us to stand upon the word and build our church upon the scriptures, the sacred scriptures which were given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit, who cost Jesus Christ his life to give us the Spirit, to illuminate the Scriptures, to teach us your truth. So, Father, give us wisdom how we should respond to false doctrine so we can do it in a way that, that safeguards the truth and the fellowship of the church, loving each other and working together in love and harmony. So, Father, thank you now for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Scriptures. Thank you for these faithful men. Thank you for Luke, who's given us this, this passage, who's the author of Acts. But we know the author, at the end of the day, is the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this. We know, as your word says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you. Try you in God. We thank you for these scriptures. Pray and ask the soul in Jesus' name. Amen.